Hello, I'm Eric Zimmerman. Today is April 24th, and this is the Friday News Flash, Coronavirus Health Law Briefing. Today, we start with the big, long-awaited, and somewhat muddled announcement from the Department of Health and Human Services describing how and when an additional $40.4 billion from the Public Health and Social Services Emergency Fund will be distributed. The money will be distributed over the next several weeks in four tranches. First, and most immediately, 20 billion will be sent beginning today to providers who received funds in the first tranche on April 10th, based on 2019 Medicare fee-for-service revenues. This money will be broadly distributed to hospitals, physicians, labs, surgery centers, and other provider types. This time, differently, the money will be allocated based on 2018 net patient revenues. HHS will initially determine net patient revenues using cost report data. Those entities that do not typically file cost reports, like labs and surgery centers and physician offices, will need to submit revenue information through a portal expected to open this week. Even those with cost reports, like hospitals, who receive money automatically, will need to submit revenue information for verification. Depending on a provider's share of 2018 net patient revenues, this additional distribution may result in an augmented payment to providers who already received funding through the first tranche. In the next wave, $10 billion will go to hospitals in areas that have been particularly hard hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. Those hospitals received an email earlier this month with a link to a reporting portal where they must provide specific COVID-19 admission data along with other information. This data was to be filed by midnight yesterday but HHS last night, after finding some reporting problems, extended the reporting deadline to Saturday, April 25th at 3 p.m. Eastern time. In the third tranche, another $10 billion will be allocated for rural hospitals and health clinics. This will be distributed as early as next week on the basis of operating expenses. One tricky but interesting piece to watch will be how HHS defines rural for purposes of distributing this money. Finally, 400 million will be allocated for Indian Health Services facilities. In the same announcement, HHS unveiled an opportunity and process for hospitals to seek reimbursement for treating uninsured COVID-19 patients by submitting claims, which will be reimbursed at Medicare rates subject to available funding. Also this week, Congress approved the fourth coronavirus stimulus bill. The new law, which the president is expected to sign today, provides an additional $350 billion for small business loans available through the Paycheck Protection Program, as well as an additional $75 billion toward the emergency fund we just discussed. The bill primarily shores up new funding for the PPP and the Provider Emergency Fund. It does not make policy changes affecting healthcare providers. Also in fund news this week, HHS updated the terms and conditions providers must accept to keep the allocated funds. Perhaps the most far-reaching 
and controversial element of the terms and conditions is the requirement that recipients of the fund not balance bill patients. Initially, the agreement document included a prohibition on surprise billing for possible or actual COVID-19 patients. Subsequently, HHS amended the fund website to clarify that the department broadly views every patient as a possible case of COVID-19. The revision was made to make clear that certain providers were eligible to keep the payments, but the website language also created potential ambiguity as to whether the surprise billing prohibition would now be applied more broadly to all patients. HHS has updated the terms and conditions to change the possible or actual language in the surprise billing section to read presumptive or actual cases of COVID-19. This language change appears to clarify the application of the surprise billing prohibition to COVID-19 patients rather than to all patients. We view this as a minor but helpful step forward with regard to the terms and conditions. In addition, HHS added introductory text stating that non-compliance with the terms and conditions is grounds for the secretary to recoup some or all of the payment. In other news, guidance issued this week by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services supports resumption of in-person care of non-COVID-19 patients by healthcare systems as clinically appropriate in states that have entered phase one of the administration's three-phase plan to reopen the country. For states considering resuming in-person care, CMS recommends several precautionary steps, including maximum use of telemedicine, personal protective equipment to mitigate the spread of COVID-19, coordinating with state and local officials to evaluate the incidence and trends of COVID-19, prioritizing procedures, and maintaining strict social distancing and sanitizing protocols. The transition will likely be slow, and practically speaking, few states have entered phase one. One state that has taken early steps toward reopening is Texas. The governor of Texas recently issued an executive order permitting healthcare facilities to provide less urgent surgical and medical procedures. Also in CMS news, the Medicare agency issued a memo providing guidance to independent freestanding emergency departments during the pandemic. Under the memo, CMS will allow these facilities to temporarily enroll in Medicare as a hospital. Only four states currently license independent freestanding emergency departments, and those are Colorado, Delaware, Rhode Island, and Texas. All other states generally require an emergency department to be affiliated with a licensed hospital. Providers considering a conversion should carefully consider whether and how the facility can meet Medicare participation requirements for hospitals and ensure that conversion to a hospital is consistent with state licensure and state emergency preparedness and pandemic plans. And finally this week, CMS and the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, along with the HHS Office of Inspector General, revised implementation timetables for the interoperability rules released on March 9th, 2020. Noting the virus and the challenge of healthcare providers, 
CMS is, among other things, extending the implementation timeline for the admission, discharge, and transfer notification obligations by an additional six months. The new rules will now be effective 12 months after the publication in the Federal Register. The Office of the National Coordinator announced that it will exercise enforcement discretion for all new requirements for three months after each initial compliance date or timeline identified in the final rule. And finally, the Inspector General released a proposed rule on civil monetary penalties for information blocking. In the proposal, the Inspector General provides examples for how it would determine violations of the information blocking provision. The proposed rule also highlights expected priorities for enforcement actions. Likely priorities include conduct that results in or has the potential to cause potential harm, conduct that impacts a provider's ability to care for patients, or conduct that causes financial loss to federal healthcare programs. Those are your coronavirus health law news updates for this week. For additional information or in-depth analysis on any of the topics we discussed, please visit our Coronavirus Resource Center at mwe.com forward slash coronavirus. This material is for general information purposes only and should not be considered as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon information here in the capacity of professional legal advice. The government will not make a warranty representation of claims of any kind concerning the content herein.